Yeah, th- thank you, Pastor Michael, for that introduction, and it's really a pleasure to be here and, and to join you guys in worship. Um, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been married about close to nine years now uh, to a, um, a woman who, you know, married down. I guess she's settled, but I, I, I lucked out, you know. Uh, we have two children. Uh, my daughter, she's going to be almost five soon in, uh, in August, and my son, Isaac. Riley, uh, Riley's my daughter, Isaac, who will almost, uh, be three in July, and they're just, they're su- super cute, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I love them. I miss them. But um, it's, it's great to be away from them as well. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I was like, hey, what am I going to do after church? Anything. You know, I was like, awesome. Well, um, you know, I, I, um, I graduated from the University of uh, California, Santa Barbara. And, um, you know, oh, yeah. So we got some couple geniuses in here, too. So I, I, that's cool. All right. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, as me and my wife, uh, we were thinking about planning a church. Uh, we were thinking about, well, what, what is our next step of ministry? Um, I said, hey, let's go to Texas because it's easier there. It's cheaper there, you know? And I said, hey, let's pray about it. And then God said, hey, we're going to send you to the most expensive place imaginable. And so God sent us uh, to Palo Alto. And, and as uh, the, the more research we did and the more praying we did, we realized that the Bay Area uh, is in so much need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, before we moved up, um, at that point, uh, the Bay Area was in the top three of the least church areas in the United States at about, about 5%. Um, you know, it's like New York, Boston, Bay Area. And, and this is including Catholics who identify as Christians. Um, now that, you know, we've, we are here, now we are number one at like, you know, a little less than 4%. So I don't know if I'm doing any good up there, but, um, but it, it, I think it's, it's really important because, uh, and one of the reasons why we want to go up there, because it was strategic. In, in that area with all the tech industry and everything that's being developed and all the startups, there's so many, the, na- the nations are coming there, whether it's from China or India or Eastern Europe. All over the world, people are coming there, and they're gathering, and they're looking for community, and they're looking for a place to belong. And we really be- believe that, um, at, that mo- or, you know, at that moment, we realized God was sending us to a place where people were, were, were fertile to hear a message about Jesus Christ. And not only that, but just knowing that all this, you know, Facebook, we live, we can walk, I can walk to Google. Um, the next city, uh, the city I live in is actually pretty much owned by Google, um, the next city is where uh, Facebook is, and, and my, wor- my, f- my wife has the privilege of working there on that campus. Um, Palo Alto is kind of the center of all the tech companies, where all the venture capitalists are. Uh, Cupertino, which is where Apple is located, is about 10 minutes south of us. And, and you know, when I just wake up and I, and I breathe air, I feel smarter, you know? <laughs> I'm like, my IQ just went up. And one of, the things, one of the things is we wanted to be able to engage and, and, and impact the lives of people who are changing the world. And we thought, how awesome would it be for, for Christians to be able to work in that industry and, and, and have a gospel mindset when they are creating apps, when they are doing a good work. And, and that was our vision and that was our goal. And, and as we went up there and as we moved up, one of the things that I noticed first and foremost was that the stigma that Californians are chill is not true. You know, I, I mean, I always heard, I always heard the, the, you know, the stories that people in New York, they're hustle, bust, you know, they're like going nonstop. And then California's like, yeah, it's cool. You know, like uh, maybe that, that's all, of, you know, those are all rumors. Because when I moved up there, I realized these people are workaholics. They're, they're working in major tech companies. And on the side, they have two, three startups. 
You know, they, they're, they're constantly trying to uh, move up in their careers because they want to make a name for themselves. Now, one of the things that we, uh, my, me and my wife, we utilized is we, we used our kids to evangelize or build relationships. And, and the best way to do that is when you have small children and other parents have small children, it's awesome when your children play together because then you don't, they don't need your attention. So we would set up play dates with people. You know, my wife would go on this app called meetup.com and just meet random people who also wanted to have play dates. And, and we get to know them. We talk to them. Uh, and, and it was really cool. And we were making a lot of relationships that way. And now once our kids started at daycare, we thought, hey, we do the same thing. We'll, it, we'll meet their parents um, and, and we'll kind of hang out. We'll build relationships. And one after another, we kept getting rejected. We're like, hey, you guys want to have a play date? They're like, no. <laughs> you know? And I was like, really? And then they're like, and, and, and some of them were very honest. They said, you know what? We really don't have any more time for any more relationships. We really don't even have a single uh, a minute left in the week outside of work and outside of family to even build relationships. And that's how busy they were. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I don't think it's that much different here in Southern California either. We get so caught up in this life of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. We get so caught up in, in desiring to find um, our identity in who we are and what we do, right? And I think that's why when we think about this, this command to rest, this Sabbath rest, it is so important. You know, God, he graciously gives us this command to, to rest regularly because he understands that in our sinful nature, in, in our in, uh, deep-rooted in our heart is a desire, a, a longing to tirelessly achieve and prove ourselves. So he says, by my grace, I give you this command to rest, to take Sabbath, to remember that your identity is found in me. So today what I want to talk about is the Sabbath. I, I want to see, first of all, why we need the Sabbath, then we're going to see how can we practically practice it, and lastly, how is this Sabbath even possible? All right, so we're going to look at why do we need Sabbath, you know, and I think that's important because we are, we are so used to not wanting to rest. It's almost looked down on, right? Like, what'd you do yesterday? I watched Netflix for five hours. Ooh, no one says that, you know? What do you say? College students, what do you say? Oh, what'd you do yesterday? I studied, right? Lies, lies. <laughs> So why do we need it? How do we practice it? What does it look like? Is it just, mean, is it just coming to church on Sunday? What, what does it exactly mean? And lastly, how is this possible? So if you guys can turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. And this is the reading of God's word. I think it's going to be shot up behind me. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have it on your phones, you can look at there as well. Okay, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing this, uh, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
so the son of, son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. So this first point, why do we need the Sabbath? Well, first of all, the Sabbath is a gracious gift that God gives to us. And he graciously gives us this Sabbath, this rest, because he wants to free us and liberate us from this desire to tirelessly prove our worth. He wants to free us from the lie that, that we have to work and achieve and, and, and find our identity in the things, the titles and, and how much money we make or what we do or, or in our uh, motherhood or fatherhood or, or being a good husband, good wife. He wants to free us and liberate us from that lie because our identity, our worth comes from Christ and Christ alone. So now how is this Sabbath rest gracious? And, and, and I think this is something that we need to realize, that this is a, a, a gift from God, not just some kind of like thing that he's forcing on us, okay? Because uh, Sabbath was created for us to rest and then enter into work, not rest from our work. It's, it's a slight distinction, but it's very important because what God is doing is he's paying, he's paying for us in advance. He's saying first rest, and then work. We always assume, I'm so tired because of everything I did, now I gotta rest. In, in, in Jewish, you know, Jewish law, the Sabbath begins at from sundown to, sun, uh, to sundown, right? It, it begins, the day begins with rest, and then, it's, and then it ends with rest and it starts work again, right? The, Jewish, um, the day is measured by evening to evening, not morning to morning. I don't know if you guys know any uh, Jewish people or not, but it's, it, it, you know, their calendar is a little different from ours, right? So it's an evening to evening, not morning to morning type of day, or, and that's not how it's measured. So when a day is measured from evening to evening and not morning to morning, it tells us that first you rest and then you work. Now, Adam was created on the sixth day, the first day that he experiences is what? The Sabbath. He is created into rest. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. So God's intention is much more gracious than we realize, much more intentional than we think. He rewards us with rest first and then has us work. And now... As, as Christians, we rest and we observe the Sabbath on Sunday, the first day of the week. Right? In our internal calendars, we always think of Sunday as the last day of the week, but no, it's Sunday is the first day of the week. God says, by grace, I give you rest so that you can enter into work. He doesn't say, because of your good work, now you may enter into rest. Well, how gracious is that, right? To get paid in advance reveals a God who is a God of grace, not a God who is just this cosmic fun police who's like, eh, 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 now you got to stop, rest. But that's how we usually think. Right? We think that God wants to put a damper into our productivity. We think that God wants to put a, a lot of, un, you know, kind of unfair rules and regulations about how we can run our life. Like, why do I got to rest? I don't want to rest. You know, I, I can go nonstop if I wanted to, God, you know, but he says, no. This is something that you need. This is something that I have modeled for you. And this is something that I institute because I am gracious. Because I know what in your human heart, what you will try to do on your own. So why do we need the Sabbath? 
Because God, after the fall, he understood, right, that our relationship with work is all out of whack. So he says, Mark 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is here to serve us. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read it real quick. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And then on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from his, all his work that he had done. And we think, why does God even need to rest? He doesn't. But he does so, so that he can model it for us. Now, um, like I said before, work isn't the problem. God created work, and it was good. But it was after the fall that our relationship with work comes out, becomes out of whack. And what, what God intended work, for it to, uh, what work to be, which was good, he was, it was intended for us to find pride in our work to feel good about our work. But after the fall, what happens is that we seek our identity and our worth in our work instead of God. So instead of finding our identity in God and the fact that our, we have a relationship with him, that we are his creation, now we seek our identity and our, and our self-worth in work. Because I, I mean, I'm imagining Adam and Eve, like before the fall, they, they were called to work. They were called to cultivate the land. They were called to keep you know, the garden and they were called to name all the animals. Now, as Adam and Eve were naming animals, like, ooh, that looks, you know, like a Sasquatch, not a Sasquatch. Why did I come up with, like, a, a fictional animal? Yeah. You know, that looks like, you know, an armadillo. You know, we're going to name you armadillo, you know. We're going to name you dog. You know, we're going to name you cat. And, and, they pro and they found joy in that work. And they were keeping the garden. They're like, oh, look, you know, like, these plants are growing. You know, they found joy in it, but they did not identify themselves in that work. They knew that their relationship was connected to God by grace, not by, of their, because of their work. But after the fall, we see something slightly different. We see in the story of Cain and Abel, a man who finds his identity and self-worth in his work, in the work of his own hands. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Now Adam and Eve knew his wife Eve. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now I'm going to skip a little bit and it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but, Cain, for, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So now after the fall, Adam and Eve, they have children. There's Cain, there's Abel. Cain is a farmer. Abe is a shepherd. And now, in one of their relationships with God, in one of their encounters, Cain brings the fruit of his land. Abel brings a sheep from his flock. And it says that the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, or he, he, he accepted Abel's offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, and this angered Cain. And I always wondered, what, why is this the case? And I believe because it is, in Cain, as he was working the land and, and he was growing his own fruit, he believed that in his own work that he had created something, that he had made something. And he was finding his identity and, and, and self-worth in that work of, of tending and, and nurturing this plant. Whereas Abel, what he was offering to God was a, an animal that can only be created by God. An animal that was only birthed by God's own creation. 
And in Hebrews, it says this, that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So by faith, Abel understood that his relationship was not tied to his work. It was not tied to what he does or what he can achieve. But by faith, he knew that God had a relationship with him by grace. And I think the opposite is true for Cain. That he believed that his relationship with God was tied to his achievements. Tied to what he can produce. Tied to what he can achieve. Now, and I think this is something that we all struggle with and why we all struggle with this command to take Sabbath rest because we are constantly working, constantly trying to prove ourselves. Now, I have come to grips and I've, and I've reflected on this and, and uh, you know, being a church planner has been a, a great ups and great downs and, and there's times of great stress and there's times of great angst and I, and I realize that I feel the most uneasy and I feel the most restless when I'm trying to prove myself through my accomplishments, through my achievements, through numbers, or, or, or through just you know, boasting in what I can do. And, and this culture now with social media, that's, that's what it's all about, right? It's all about finding self-fulfillment. It's all about self-marketing. It's all about achieving I mean, you go and, and you, know, you set up your LinkedIn profiles and, and you put all your good achievements in there. You know? And then you kind of like throw each other you know, bones and like, hey, uh, um, I, th- I think someone said like, oh, he is good at social media. And I was like, accept, right? And you're like, oh, now it's on my LinkedIn profile. You know? uh, and, then you, and then you send stuff back to other people and you're just kind of like, you know, like puffing each other up. You know, our, our Instagram is, is a snapshot into the best part of our life, right? I mean, you just post so many pictures of, of kids that are, you know, your kids are playing and they're all cute. You, you post that, you know? You don't show all the, the, the nasty side of it. Or in marriage, you know, you, you post pictures or selfies of like being on date night or going on vacation. You know, people don't get a glimpse into the fighting, into the bickering, right? because we want to be able to put our best face forward. You know, dating profiles, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm old enough where I don't have to do online dating. But for those that are single, you guys know that the, the tired, tiredness of keeping up your dating profile and making sure that you put certain things and, and putting a picture at a certain angle. Like, you want a good picture, but you don't want it to be like, wait, that's your picture? You know, you don't, you know, you don't want it to be too, you know what I mean? So there's like that sweet spot, you know? And then, you know... Some people that I know that are, are still single, like they don't want to create a dating profile because they, they are so ashamed of their occupation. Because they know, like, you, you see what your occupation is and you'll get more hits. So, all these things that we achieve and we, when we strive after, we find our identity in. And for me, um, you know, when I moved up to the Bay Area, one of the things that uh, I was so anxious about and something that I, I, I struggle with so much is this desire to succeed. Why? Because, you know, I'm kind of like, um, you know, the young, unproven pastor who's taking it upon himself to move up to Northern California to try to plant a church in one of the most unchurched areas. And people are like, good luck. My call, you know, my other colleagues, my other pastors, older pastors are like, oh, good job. Go, go for it, you know. And, and, this, and this is not true, but this is what I felt, that they were waiting to see if I would succeed or not, that they were waiting to see how I would do. 
And then as I go up there, then there's, there, there's the visions that I have of, of success and, and what it means to minister to the people. And then you start having doubts. Everyone I met are PhDs or they have master's degrees. And I've never met so many people from Harvard and Princeton, you know, and Yale. I mean, I went to the Harvard of the West, so it shouldn't surprise me, but it, it's, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, like, oh, you actually went to Harvard, you know? Oh, you actually went to Yale? Like, I didn't know you guys were real, you know? Like, I thought they were just people in the Korean newspaper that my mom would talk about in high school. They were actually real people. And then I began thinking, wait a second, these are the people that I'm ministering to. You know, um, one of our members at our church, he created the HDMI. Like, this guy's a genius. Like, literally, he's affected every person in the world with his creation. I mean, I think there's like five companies or six companies that have a patent in the HDMI. He was one of the, f- the first ones, you know? And here I am, 35 years old at the time, and I'm preaching to this guy. You know, and we have, we have people who are high-level executives in Google, and, you know, uh, everyone's a doctor. You know, you're either a doctor or you're in tech, you know? And here I am with my religious studies major, and there's that, there's that anxiety. Do I have what it takes? And so what do I do? I read more. I work harder. I strategize more. I network more. And it's just on and on and on because I found my worth in my work. Success, achievement, that's what my identity was tied to. Now let me ask you guys, where do you find your worth? Where do you, where is your identity tied to? Are achievements the thing that define you? Is it your degree? Are you a doctor because your dad was a doctor and his brother was a doctor and your older brother was a doctor and you knew you had to be a doctor? Or you're striving after this particular occupation or career or school because you believe that unless you achieve that thing, you are not who you are. See, God knows this. He knows our heart. And that's why he says, Take Sabbath rest. Now, I guess the question next and our second point is, well, then how do we do this? How do we take Sabbath rest? Now, uh, unfortunately, we have become a culture where we are anti-rest but pro-leisure. Okay? Anti-rest but pro-leisure. Sabbath rest is deeper and more restorative than leisure. And, and, and you know, this is an easy way to do, uh, understand this. How many of you guys after vacation thought, man, I need a vacation for my vacation, <laughs> right? Especially if you are a family with kids. Vaca- there's no such thing as a vacation. It's just, oh, I'm going to pay for work, you know? <laughs> I'm going to pay to go somewhere to do more work. Um, when, uh, when my um, church, we, we, you know, during like Christmas time and, and in the Bay Area, like um, during, during vacation times, everyone comes home to SoCal, uh, in the Bay Area, everyone goes away for vacation because they're, all, they're not from that area. And when they all come back, they all miss church. You know why? Because they're all sick. Because travel, vacations were so hard for them. 
But we are a culture now of pro-leisure, anti-rest, because even leisure is something that is achieved. We want to post pictures on the beach, making our legs look like little hot dogs, and you take a, you know, you know what I'm talking about, and you take a picture. You know, you, you want to be able to post videos of, of that unreal hike that you went on. You know, and, and you want to be able to post like, uh, like cool pictures of rock climbing. Whatever it is that we find leisure in, we do this, but it doesn't give us rest. We have to understand that Sabbath, Sabbath rest is deeper than physical rest. It is something that even the religious Jews at this moment in Jesus' time, they did not understand. And they made it so legalistic that instead of making Sabbath restful, they made it even more of a burden. See, Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to 24, the, the disciples on the Sabbath, they were plucking heads of grain. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they said, whoa, 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 hey, Jesus, did you see what your disciples did right now? Why are they breaking the Sabbath? See, for the Pharisees, the Sabbath was not something that provided rest. Sabbath was just another way for them to prove how religious they were. And what they did was, instead of using the Sabbath to provide rest for their people, they made it more burdensome. And this is what the Pharisees did in their laws. They made 39 categories of work. Because they said, hey, we got to keep the Sabbath, so now let's define what work is. You know, like, we don't want to break any rules. So they made 39 categories of what work is. And out of the 39 categories, they had 1,500 under rules to those categories because you got to make sure you don't break any, any rules. One of the rules was this. Someone should not harvest on the Sabbath. You know, the heart, you know, pluck stuff. And because of this, women were not allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath. You're like, what? Why? Because they said this. If a woman looked in the mirror on the Sabbath, saw gray hair, They'll be tempted to pluck that gray hair. They are harvesting. <laughs> that was a real rule for the Pharisees and for the religious Jews. Men were not allowed to cultivate the ground on the Sabbath. This led to another rule. Men were not allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Because what if you spit on the ground and another man comes and steps on your spit? And then they're like doing the shuffle or something, you know? You've, harv- you've cultivated the ground. And these, I wish I made these up. These are real. And what we do is we've made Sabbath. And what the Pharisees did is they made Sabbath into this thing, this, the, the, these rules that we have to follow by God. And it's like, oh, man, I got to observe the Sabbath. And he's really putting a damper into my work. He's really out here just to kind of, you know, be the fun police. And we forget that that's not the reason. So then how do we enjoy? How do we practice the Sabbath without being legalistic? How do we actually do it? This is the first step. Number one, be intentional. Be intentional. And this is something that we all know, especially if you're a Christian. And for those that um, I actually believe that non-believers, if you're a non-believer here or just new to church, you guys are much more intentional about Sabbath than, than we are. Because for us, for those that have grown up in the church, coming to church is automatic. 
You just know on Sunday you go to church. It doesn't matter what you did the night before, you go to church. You wake up, you have your routine, you go to church. For someone who is new, for someone who is not uh, kind of new to Jesus and Christianity, when they wake up, they're thinking, okay, well, how do I get ready for church? What is church going to be like today for me? It's, it's much more intentional. And I think for believers, it's a shame that we're not as intentional. We should be thinking and contemplating, well, let's get, prepare our hearts. Let's get ready to go into worship and rest and be restored and be encouraged. Next, we've got to be advocational, meaning this. Do you think you, on the Sabbath, you don't do things that you normally would do, okay? If you are a professional golfer, which I wish I was, on the Sabbath, I should not be playing golf or practicing golf, if you are a student, and this is hard, because when you got finals on Monday, what do you do? You study on Sunday. But man, God has given you six days before Sunday to study, you know? But what do we do? We play Overwatch, right? You go eat burritos at like 2 in the morning, you know? We play like NBA 2K, you know, we, we do all that. And then on Sunday, it's like, oh, now it's study time. We got to be advocational. And this is tough, especially for a lot of us who are immigrants, and we saw our parents just busting their butt, you know, in stores or small businesses, and Sunday they work, you know, and then we kind of get that instilled in us too. But I guarantee you that when we're advocational in our Sabbath and intentional, it is so restorative. We got to be contemplative, meaning we have to remember and remind ourselves who we are in Christ so that we do not find our identity in our work. We do not find our identity in our achievements. And that's tough. You know, college students, how are you a lot of times known? Oh, John. Which John? John from UCLA, right? You know? And, you know, in, in the Asian culture, it's like if you go to, like, SMCC, oh, he's just John. And then John from UCLA, you know, because there's that, there's that culture within us, and, and it's stigmatized, and then we, we feel it. And then we either become a workaholic and just, just strive for achievements, or we just get bogged down and we say, I give up, and become slothful. And Sabbath, when we're intentional, when we're advocational, when we're contemplative, takes us away from that. We also have to be accountable through community. And, and here's the thing, um, we're not, I'm not trying to be legalistic, and I'm not saying, you know, you can't miss church on Sunday. Uh, definitely the culture, even within the Christian circle, has changed where a um, lot more people are missing church on Sundays. You know, our, our, our parents' generation and older, like, it doesn't matter if their leg is cut off. On Sunday, we're all going to church, you know? Not so much anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, I got an Airbnb here. I'm just going to go out. You know, like, it, it's different. But um, for Sabbath, we got to be accountable through our community, and in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And in our Western culture, in our individualistic way, we read this passage and we say, oh, we can't miss church because then we miss out on the benefits and blessings of church. Really? But I don't know if that's what the author of Hebrews is actually saying. The author of Hebrews says this, right? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
not neglecting to meet together. The danger isn't the blessings that we will miss out on when we don't come to church. The danger is the fact that by you being absent, you are neglecting to bless others. It's much more community focused, not self-focused. When we miss out on the Sabbath and corporate worship, what we do is we take the blessing that we could offer to one another and we say, ha, you can't have it today. That's something for us to consider. I mean, it was such a blessing just to see all the servants and all the people who are here early and every single, you know, praise team, you know, AV team and, you know, all the deacons and deaconesses and just you guys come and you guys come early and you guys come to serve, to love one another, to stir one another up. And that helps each other, that helps all of us be restored in the Sabbath. So last point, how is this Sabbath rest possible? You think, well, how does this even work? Well, rest, the Sabbath rest is possible because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath here in the passage of Mark, uh, he's making a very bold statement. And it's not just a boast of himself, but it's a very pointed message. By claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath and by claiming that he was the one who instituted the Sabbath, that's basically what he's saying. If he's saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying he's the one who instituted it the one who has authority over it. And that's a bold statement. And looking back in Genesis, we know that the Sabbath was something that was instituted by God. So Jesus' claim is it's to his deity. And then Jesus mentions King David. And what King David did was when he was kind of, you know, running away and, you know, kind of, you know, like making sure he's staying alive and him and his mighty men, they were, you know, uh, running away from uh, Saul and stuff like that. Uh, uh, they were hungry. And on the Sabbath, they ate the bread of the presence, basically a special bread, a special loaf that you weren't allowed to touch unless you were a priest. And Jesus says, hey, he did this. And so as Jesus mentions David, what he is claiming is that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the king greater than David. I am the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. Just as David was able to go on the Sabbath and eat this, the bread of the presence, uh, I am here to proclaim that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus, how does he restore the Sabbath so that it's truly available to us? Jesus guarantees our rest by securing our position as children of God. And he secures our position as children of God by his life, death, and resurrection. Now, there's a passage that uh, I would read a lot uh, in college, and, you know, it's, it's a time when, when you're depressed, you kind of read this passage, and in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're like, oh, man, Jesus, that's awesome, because I'm super tired. You know, let me find rest in you. But this is what Jesus is, in, in the context, this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking to the Pharisees and the, in the, within the crowd, and he's talking to religious Jews who believed that in order to have a relationship with God, in order to be a good Jew, they had to observe all these laws. They had to put down all these markers for what it means to be a good religious Jew, and that became burdensome. 
That became a, a huge a weight upon their shoulders. And then Jesus comes and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden from these laws that were man-made and I will give you rest because your identity, your worth, your salvation is not based on work, but is fully dependent upon what I will do for you as I live this life without sin, as I die on the cross, and as I raise again from the dead. That is why he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this Sabbath rest is a reminder of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus, that our identity and our worth comes not from what we can do and what we can achieve, but it comes from Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he gives us ultimate rest. And what a wonderful message that is, that we no longer have to prove ourselves and our worth because our worth and our, our identity is tied to the Son of God. So, friends, here at uh, uh, All Nations Community Church, I, I really hope that this is a message that restores your soul, that gives you rest, that reminds you of just how gracious God is and, and what he gives us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much that by your grace you give us this Sabbath rest, a time to be restored, a time to be reminded that our identity and our worth is not connected to anything that we can do or achieve, but it is purely based on you and what you have done. God, I pray for everyone here, for all those that are struggling, all those that are, are suffering anxiety and angst. I pray that you will give them comfort, that you will give them peace, that you will give them a reminder of the wonders of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.